from Charter Hall and Banish, this is Sustainability Further. I'm your host, Lottie DL. You're listening to Sustainability Further, a podcast by Charter Hall. One of Australia's leading property groups, Charter Hall is focused on creating innovative spaces and going further to build a better future for all. The Living Seawalls Project is bringing Sydney Harbour back to life with their revolutionary habitat tiles. This internationally recognised program by the Sydney Institute of Marine Sciences and Reef Design Lab uses living seawalls to mimic mangroves, reefs and microhabitats for essential marine species. In this episode, I chat to co-leader Melanie Bishop to find out more. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today, Melanie. Let's kick off this episode with a question that I ask all of our guests. What does sustainability mean to you? Sustainability for me is intergenerational equity so that my kids and their kids and their kids uh, can enjoy the same quality of life as I do today. And so I guess this is about um, ensuring environmental stewardship of our land and water-based assets. And it's also about social justice, uh, that there is equal access to those resources by everyone, no matter who they are around the world. I think that's a very great answer. I really like it. I like that social justice about as well, leaving the land in the same or in a better state than the one we found it as well, I think is something really important. So a lot of your work with the Living Seawalls just does exactly this. So can you please explain to our audience that have maybe never heard of them before what exactly they are and what they actually do and how they work? So Living Seawalls is addressing a growing issue in our oceans, which is the loss of biodiversity due to construction. And what we're seeing at the moment is an absolute construction boom. And this is for a number of reasons. So first of all, uh, protection of coastal assets from rising sea levels and um, increasing storm surge. Um, It is reflecting the movement of the energy sector offshore. uh, So increasing number of wind turbines and our increasing dependence on aquaculture to feed the world's population. So all up, uh, there are now, there's a greater footprint of these structures around the world than is the area occupied by the world's mangrove forests and seagrass beds combined. So it's it's a really, really big issue. And there's predicted to be 70% more of these structures by 2030. And so in many cases, these structures are absolutely necessary. They're providing energy, they're providing food, they're providing um, important coastal protection. Um, So the question is, well, how can we actually do this in a more sustainable way? And so for over 20 years, ecologists have really been looking at these structures and and thinking, well, these structures typically have far fewer species living on them than the natural habitats they replace. And, you know, I guess natural habitat on the logs, such as rocky shores and rocky reefs. Why is this the case? And it turns out one of the main reasons that they support fewer species is because they have really flat, smooth surfaces. Um, And these surfaces are generally vertical. And so it provides provides less space for um, marine seaweeds and animals to attach to and it provides poor quality spaces for them to attach to because there's no protection from predators, there's no protection from environmental stressors such as uh, for intertidal species that live between the high and low watermark the sun or um, for species from wave action and some of these other stressors. 
And so living seawalls is really about returning these missing habitats back to these structures. Uh, so things like um, crevices, rock pools, um, the sort of three-dimensional structure that you also often see, things like mangrove roots and um, oyster shells providing in natural systems. And so what we have developed at Living Seawalls is modular habitat panels. And the um, panels, there are 10 different designs that the panels come in, um, each of which mimic nature, the features of nature. And um, the panels are modular and uh, they can be configured to new or existing marine built structures. And the number of panels um, can be customised to a location based on the size of the structure and also the environmental goals. So each of these 10 different panels that we've, that we've developed today actually support different types of um, marine seaweed and in invertebrate and animal. And, and these include all kinds of things, things like um, uh, kelp that's sequestering carbon and providing important habitat to fish, oysters and mussels that are filtering the water and providing food to fish. Um, and, and yeah, all, all kinds of things really. Wow, no, it's so cool. And when I was kind of doing all of my research before this episode, I was looking at the actual modulars and they kind of for people who are just listening to this and can't get a visual like a visual representation of them, they're kind of they're not technically a hexagon, but they kind of look like that and they all stick together a bit like a jigsaw piece with different, I just thought prints and funky designs in my um, naivety, but they I didn't even realize that there would be kind of one would be more attractive to kelp or one would be more attractive to something else. So it is absolutely amazing. And I think I was reading as well that. 50% of the harbour, correct me if I'm wrong, the Sydney harbour is now covered with um, your living seawalls, which is very exciting. Uh, so it's not 50% of the harbour that's covered with living seawalls, it's 50% of the harbour, which is actually built structure. And so this is the extent of the problem we have. So this means 50% of the natural habitat, the um, sandy beaches, the mudflats, the mangrove forests, the oyster reefs that would have been there historically, and now these, these built coastal defence structures or, or um, human, human structures. So that's the opportunity therein lies for you guys to come on board and to provide a habitat on these flat structures then for everything and all of these beings and absolute and critters and algae, as you were saying. So as well as providing habitat for fish and critters and a place for algae to grow. How does this impact climate change? I know you've just spoken about the carbon sequestration from algae, but kind of how does this actually help the planet apart from providing them with a little home? So many of these structures are actually built in the intertidal space. So this is the area between the high water mark and the low water mark that's inundated at high tide and is high and dry at low tide. And these are really um, critical communities in terms of fisheries, productivity, nutrient cycling, carbon sequestration. And many of the species that occupy these systems already live at or close to their thermal limits. And they're really dependent on 
protective microhabitats um, to provide cool and shaded conditions. And so, you know, if you've ever walked along a rock platform, you've probably seen that most of the life is not on the flat surface of the rock. It's in the crevices. It's in, you know, the little depressions. It's in the rock pools um, because these not only provide protection to, to pr from predators, but they also provide a cool, moist microclimate. And what we've found is actually in these kinds of um, microhabitats, temperatures during, say, a mid-afternoon low tide when the sun is beating down on these structures, it can actually be 10 degrees Celsius cooler within these than outside. And so particularly as um, in these urban environments, um, which tend to be, you know, heat islands, as, as the climate warms, um, the, these habitats are going to mean the difference between life and death for these species. Wow, no, that is very impressive. It's something that I didn't really think of. We obviously think about kind of the water temperatures increasing, but we don't really think about kind of rocks and habitats and everything else for these species as well. So it's really amazing to hear what you were doing. So this program is internationally recognised and it has been created by the Sydney Institute of Marine Sciences and Reef Design Lab. How have other key partnerships kind of helped propel the growth of this program? Part, partnerships with government, uh, with the private sector and also with the local community have been absolutely critical for, I guess, first of all, establishing proof of concept and then scaling up our project. And so initially, I guess, these partnerships came in the order of landowner consent. Uh, so local government councils sticking their hands up and saying, yes, you know, you can establish a demonstration site on our, on our seawall. Um, and also, I guess, initially funding, um, funding for um, producing the initial prototypes, um, installing the prototypes and monitoring and evaluating them. Um, but these partnerships, particularly with local government, have just grown into much more than that. So it's increasingly about education and outreach. Um, so, for example, North Sydney Council um, has been very active um, with uh, installing public signage and developing sculptures to help to communicate to their constituency uh, what we're doing uh, with our work. They've also been incredibly helpful in actually assisting other local governments um, to adapt these kinds of strategies and to interpret the legislation uh, so that they can be applying these, these seawall greening type approaches as well. I guess in terms of the private sector, um, Volvo Cars Australia um, were very helpful um, in getting one of our initial sites up and running. Uh, so um, we designed a mangrove um, design of panel for them uh, that was installed at Milsons Point under the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And um, subsequently, they've sponsored the monitoring and evaluation of that, um, you know, developing and establishing proof of concept for our approach. And um, with Volvo Cars, We've also uh, co-designed um, the Bondi Ocean Lovers Festival Ocean Revival Experience, um, where once a year the public get an opportunity to actually swim in amongst living seawalls panels in the Bondi Iceberg uh, Pool and actually experience what it's all about. Oh, that is so fun. And I think it just shows that kind of the power of partnerships in kind of really expanding and helping your vision grow so much faster and reaching so many different audiences that you probably didn't even anticipate from the get-go. So there are living seawalls currently in Sydney Harbour, Singapore, Wales and Gibraltar. So what is next? 
So really at Living Seawalls, we want to provide a blueprint for sustainable construction in our oceans. And so I guess this is a combination of um, advocacy and also providing the solutions. And so first of all, I guess we want to increase um, understanding and, and know-how of how we can co-design for humans and nature in the sea by establishing demonstration sites on every continent in the earth. Um, it's particularly important for us that we are establishing these demonstration sites in developing countries as well, because this is where most of the construction is actually occurring at the moment. Um, Seawalls are obviously only one type of built structure. Um, there are many others, including pilings, revetments, that kind of thing. And so at the moment, too, we're adapting our modular living seawalls approach for application to other types of marine structure as well. Uh, so in the future, we'll be able to provide um, a, a full portfolio of different options um, that, that can be used for, for sustainable marine construction. Uh, and we're accompanying this with um, education and advocacy. Advocacy. So, you know, a really important um, component of our project is engaging with the community, sharing with them our vision, getting the community behind us um, and assisting um, through citizen science and the likes. And so at the end of the day, really, um, the vision of Living Seawalls is that all new marine construction will be co-designed to benefit not only humans, but also nature as well. Oh, that sounds like an absolute heaven, but I don't think it's just a picture of my imagination. I think that is going to be happening in the future. So congratulations on all of the amazing work that you and the team have done so far. And I really look forward to seeing everything that you're going to achieve in the future as well. Thank you very much. This conversation is part of Charter Hall and Banish's podcast series, Sustainability Further. This series has been designed to inspire Australians to be more environmentally responsible and to take climate action. Sustainability Further is produced by Banish. Charter Hall's purpose is to create better futures by bringing aspirations to life.